Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask, y'all can be seated. I'm going to ask Barb Johns if she'll come. And I'm going to also ask Megan Lehman if she'll come just to share a couple of testimonies of things that have been going on. And uh, Barb has launched, she's our, come on up, guys. Barb is our uh, bus ministry director. She launched last week with Easter, our bus ministry. And so I'm going to ask her to share uh, just real quick what God did last week. And if you're interested at all in being involved in the bus ministry, make sure that you see Barb today. Uh, She needs lots of help. So make sure if you're interested that you see her. Well, um, I just felt called to drive the bus again. I drove the van several years ago, and it's a way to bring people to church. Um, I had two families that I brought last week, and I was so tickled to see both of my ladies come forward. Um, It just blessed my heart, so I would be glad to take you for help. It's awesome. So you you had two families, you said? I had two. Okay. And so they they both came down, responded to the altar call for salvation, and then you mentioned that they also went back to the food pantry after. So that's awesome. So thanks, Barb. That's awesome. Why don't you give her a hand? That's incredible. You know, that's that's good fruit that you you have two ladies come on the bus and both of them get born again. And then, you know, care groups, coming up, Megan, care groups is um, vital to our church. If you're not involved in a small group, whether it's Sunday school or you know, if it's a small group during the week or any of the play groups, the fun groups, if you're not involved in a group, I want to encourage you to make sure that you get involved in one of our small groups. We have about 40 or so small groups that that meet throughout the week. And uh, we have young ladies, we have young adults, young marrieds, we have seniors, we've got... doesn't matter what group or category you fit into, there is a group meeting for you. And uh, I just want to encourage you to get involved. That's where the life of the church is. It's where you begin to learn how to uh, minister to one another, to encourage one another. It's where disciple, whoa, it's where discipleship happens. Um, our monitors just kicked on up here. <laughs> uh, it's where discipleship happens. Uh, it's where life happens in the church. And so it's where you find out what's going on in the church and what's happening and how you can be involved in your small group, does things together and does ministry together. It's a great, great place uh, to be involved. So I um, asked Megan if she would come and she'd share. She's involved in, well, why don't you just tell what group you're involved in and, and what God's doing. Um, my name is Megan. My husband, Tony, and I um, lead the Young Marrieds group. On Friday nights, we meet at 7 o'clock. When we first started our group, when we first kind of started brainstorming about it, you know, what's going to happen, who's going to be involved, who do we want, you know, we invited 
tons of people. And I get a text message from one of the one of the moms. Well, you know we can't be there because you know we have work and da da da. And I'm like, oh, don't worry, we're gonna feed you, so show up anyway. And she's like, yeah, but you know bedtimes. And I'm like, hard out at 8:30, which P.S. we don't do. Like, like it's like 9:30, 10 o'clock some days when we get out of there. But she's, you know, so I'm like knocking down all these different excuses, and they're still like, you know, we really just with our work schedules, we don't think we can come. So. The first night that we really were able to get together, it was the Mackies, the Sloans, and us. It was the six of us at a table. We're like, what are we going to do to get people to come? And I mean, it was right in the middle of all this horrible weather, so we figured some of it was weather. But we were like, we got to build these relationships, and we got to get this family there. So we're like praying about it. And wouldn't you know, God worked out a way for their work schedules to be opened up for them to be there on a Friday night. So we got really excited about that. So now they're a really, you know, a really big part of that group. Um, so we're just like, you know, we were talking about it. We we're like, how are we going to, you know, what are we going to do? You know, relationships, relationships, it keeps coming up. Form relationships with people, get involved with people more so, you know, than like, let's get numbers in our group. And um, we had, Joe had mentioned something about, um, you know, a group that they had seen down in New Orleans back in, I think it was like February. You know, he's like, it was unbelievable. I didn't know whose kid was who. You know, whose kid was whose because everybody was taking care of everybody else's kid. You know, everybody was loving on everybody else's kids. And I was like, oh, that would be so cool to happen in our group. And the following week, or, you know, one of the following weeks, I'm looking around, you know, and we've got legitimately we have more kids than we do adults in our group and I'm looking around and I see Lily Sloan cuddling up with Joanna Steger on the couch I've got Zach over here who is keeping an eye on my little one if anybody knows my little Austin you know I can't keep an eye on him ever because he's always all over the place and Zach's got him you know he's running out the door and Zach's grabbing him and come on back in you know no you can't do this and you know it's just it's like like I just looked around I'm like that was like within two weeks that we have this this group who is suddenly now you know and I mean we all know each other you know our kids have been you know growing up together and stuff so it's like we have these relationships but they're forming these these deeper interconnected relationships um, you know and as a side note I just want to say when we um, when we started all of this we thought of I think 13 or 14 different families who qualify for our group we have five so some of you are not showing up on a Friday night, so you need to come out. Because I'll tell you what, last week I walked into the Sloan's kitchen and I've got Precious over here up to her elbows and fried chicken and she's keeping on going and going and going and we feed you, did it feed you. So come on out. We have lots and lots of room. Um, we did at one point think that we were gonna have to split off soon because we are growing and we had another couple come last week who was part of, uh, he was part of this church for a while and then he was gone and now he's kind of, he's becoming more involved in the group and things and it's like, it's just so cool. And then, like I said, you know, we are, like I don't get my babies home. They're eight months and two years old and they don't get home until 10 o'clock sometimes. But last week, I, you know, my husband came home with me, he put the babies to bed with me and he went back over and they played board games all night. I don't even know what time they came home and they plan on doing it again, um, you know, the next time. So, you know, it's, it's fellowship. It's these relationships that are building. My two-year-old looks forward to going all the time because he gets to, um, you know, sing songs and stuff. So it's really good. It's amazing. We love it. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. 
So power of small groups. So I would encourage you, make sure you get involved in one of our care groups, one of our small groups. That's awesome. That's really what it's all about is building those interconnected relationships. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Numbers, Numbers chapter 17. We're actually going to go in a couple of different scriptures today. Uh, But Numbers chapter, actually I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, so if you're taking notes, hopefully you'll be quick on the note taking. But Numbers chapter 17 is where we're going to begin. How many of you have ever asked yourself or you found yourself asking yourself the question, what is my purpose in life? What what am I here for? What, What has God called me to do? What on earth is my calling in this life? Anybody ever asked those questions before? Just maybe me. Okay, so we've all asked those questions. We've all asked God about what our purpose in this life is. And um, I want to take a look today at the purpose of God for our church and uh, for your life. I want to take a look at what God's calling is for you as a Christian and what God's calling us as a church to do. You know, this, uh, this week there was a, a very uh, well-known um, story, I guess, that happened over the past couple of months. Many of you might be familiar with the, with the girl Lauren Hill. And uh, Lauren is a 19-year-old. She was in Cincinnati. Anybody familiar with this story before I, before I get into it? Okay. She was a 19-year-old, and she was attending Mount St. Joseph University in Cincinnati. She was diagnosed. She's a basketball player, freshman basketball player, and she was diagnosed with an inoperable terminal brain tumor. And this week, she passed away. But uh, I want to share the news. Uh, the news had a great clip, and I'd like to share, share that with you this morning. WRWT has just confirmed very sad news this morning. College basketball player turned cancer advocate Lauren Hill has passed away. WRWT News 5's Mike Dardis has more on how Lauren achieved her dream and inspired people across the country in the process. It's a dream come true to play on the college court. And it was so thrilling to get there and be able to put my foot down and just feel the roar of the crowd and the vibration of the floorboards and I just love I love it so much. That was Lauren Hill's big goal after being diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Not only did this 19-year-old freshman play in a game for Mount St. Joseph, she scored the first basket and stole the show in the process. Accomplishing that one goal would have been movie-like enough, but along the journey, Lauren realized she was put on this earth to do more, to spread a magical message of courage, of hope, of endless possibilities. Lauren became a hero for young people and their families who were fighting cancer. She created the Layup for Lauren Challenge, and thanks to social media, it caught on in a hurry. Andy Dalton and the Bengals tried it, So did local college basketball teams. It spread to high school gyms in the tri-state. And that's being hard for both drivers. We're going to put out a twist on the challenge. And across America, too. Everybody became a Lauren Hill fan. Her number 22 will forever be etched in our memories and hold a special spot in our hearts. What's happening right now isn't going to help me. And it's not going to help everybody else right away. But... 
it's going to help in the future. And it's going to eventually, you know, make something happen. It's that selfless approach that gives us goosebumps. A teenage girl knowing how short life was going to be, battling until the end, so someday others won't have to. You can close your eyes now, Lauren, for you have earned the right to rest in peace. Thank you for all you did and what you stood for. You will never be forgotten. We're so glad that you got to realize your basketball dream and in the process, give countless others the chance to dream as well. And our thoughts, prayers. With Thank you for all you did and what you stood for. You will never be forgotten. We're so glad you go to realize you got to realize your basketball dream, and in the process, give countless others the chance to dream as well. You know, when you and I begin to live out and fulfill the purpose and the plans of God for our life, when we begin to fulfill the purpose of God for our church and for our life, it affects those around us. You know, Lauren's a great example of that, that when you begin to achieve the dream and the purpose of God for your life, it affects those around us. Your place as a believer, your place in eternity might be secure, but your place in history, I heard this said, your place in history is up for grabs. As a believer today, each of us, uh, you know, eternity is secure, but will you and I make a difference in this life? Will you and I decide, determine, you know what, you can, you can come to church and you can sit in the pew and you can go through all the right motions and do all the right religious things, but I want to ask you a question today, will you and I be willing to make an eternal difference and mark history for the world around us? Are you willing to lay everything at the foot of the cross and say, I am willing to see the Great Lakes region transformed. I'm willing to make a mark in this history and in the world around me. Our mission, our purpose, as we've said here at our church, Zach's 1-8, and you shall receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is our mission. That's our purpose. And maybe today that, that should become your purpose and your mission in this life is that you receive the power, this supernatural dunamis power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Christ in every place that you go. Heather and I were talking yesterday, and she said, you know, we need to get more of those uh, invitation cards. We've run out, and she said, we need to get more. She said, I find myself everywhere I go talking to people about our church and inviting them to church, and I need something to give them, to give them a time and a, and a date to come. Are you like that? Do you find yourself everywhere you go telling others about what Christ is doing in your life and in your church and in your relationship with him? Do you find yourself excited about the purpose of God in your life and in this church? I want you to consider today two questions as we go on. One, are you living out your God-giving purpose? And two, are those around you being affected by your life? You see, if you're living out your God-given purpose, people around you will be affected. That's the natural result. As you receive from God and God affects your life and transforms your life, then you begin to live out this purpose that God's given you, that he's placed within your heart, and others around you are affected by that. I began to think this week, about some of these first fruits, if you will, the signs of what God's doing in our church. 
And I, I, I really believe that we're beginning to see the, the first fruits of what's to come in our church. We are, we are tasting and seeing the, the, just the beginning, just the beginning taste of what's to come in our church. I wrote down some of the things that we've seen just in eight months. One, we've seen many born again, many baptized in the Holy Spirit, many baptized in water. We've had babies dedicated. We've had people get new jobs. Uh, you know, I remember there was, there was one week I thought every time I turned around, someone was getting a new job. We had been praying for jobs, and, and it seemed like every, every day someone had gotten a new job. New cars, the same, same thing, people getting new cars. We had, matter of fact, one of our staff members... Uh, went and had uh, car was having car trouble and they prayed over their car and their car started running and hasn't broke down and so as a result you know the blessing of the lord the blessing of the lord new houses people getting new houses debts being supernaturally canceled Broken bones, we've seen broken bones healed. We've seen people with pain in their back and their bodies healed. People who weren't able to sleep, having sleep, being able to sleep again. People with emotional uh, problems being healed. Depression being healed. Discouragement being healed. I'm not making all these up. This is stuff we've been told. These, these are testimonies that have come through. I just thought I might share them with you. Um, we've had many people just wander into church. <laughs> I can't count how many people uh, that I've been told. I don't know why I'm here. I'm just... I'm here. I showed up. And uh, I love that. I, I love that. We had uh, this weekend, uh, John Kilpatrick was one of the speakers at the conference we were at. He was the pastor at Brownsville during the revival in Pensacola. And he said uh, they, there was a, uh, they, they had newscasters and all these news people, of course, were coming to cover the revival and what was happening. And one of the news anchors was out interviewing people in the line prior to their interview with Pastor John Kilpatrick in the, in the back room before service. And uh, he said that the news anchor came back and said, Pastor Kilpatrick, do you know that there's a guy out in the line that's covered with tattoos? I mean, he blinks his eye, and he's got tattoos on the back of his eye. He's, got, he's covered. He's one solid tattoo, and he's coming to your church. And Pastor Kilpatrick said, well, of course he's coming to church. And uh, he said, the, the news anchor said, well, do you know his story? Do you know what happened? And Pastor Kilpatrick said, uh, no, I don't. I don't know who you're talking about. And so the news anchor begins to relay the story that this, uh, that this man uh, was, was at a, I think he was at a bar. He was somewhere. He was at a bar, never been to church in his life, and was sitting at the bar and heard a voice say to him, you need to go down. He was up from Wisconsin. Said, you need to go down to that revival in Pensacola, and I'll meet you there. And he had no idea what that was all about, had no idea what, what, what the voice was, or who it was, what he was talking about. So he gets on his Harley and drives down to the revival, and he gets to Pensacola, doesn't know where he's going, and stops at the beachfront and asks people at the beachfront, hey, where's that revival at? And they said, oh, you just go down here, make a right, you know, go down the way here. And uh, so he drives up and gets in line for the service. Well, people at, at Brownsville were lining up, uh, you know, at 7 o'clock in the morning for service at 7 o'clock at night. And so he was, he was there in line, and she, the news, uh, the news anchor had caught his story. 
Well, that night, John Kirkpatrick said he was the first one in the altar. He said it looked like somebody jumped over the first couple of pews and dove into the altar when Steve Hill gave the salvation altar call. And uh, the news anchor asked the guy, he said, well, why, why are you here? Why, what do you expect to get when you go into that service? What are you expecting to, to get when you go into the meeting tonight? And he said, lady, I'm going to meet the man who spoke to me. <laughs> And that he did. And so we, you know, we also were seeing those people wander in and just come into service and get changed. People, new people engaging in ministry, people being called into ministry. I've had several folks say that I never thought I could actually live out a call into ministry. I never thought I would have even been capable or qualified to be called into ministry. And people are living that out. Many new ministries have started, had launched or relaunched. Uh, we had someone a couple of weeks ago, new to the church, came and found me and said, hey, when you start that uh, free weddings ministry up again, I want to know about it because I want to help lead that and begin to tell me about how they feel called to be a wedding coordinator and such. So it's like, I've been praying for someone just like you to walk into our church doors. So glad that you're here. Let's get you connected. Uh, you know, so great things there. The Easter outreach this past weekend, we had well over a thousand people at our Easter outreach. It's awesome. Yeah, you all can praise the Lord for that. It's phenomenal. We had the, uh, and then service on Sunday, we were packed. We had a great service. We had many families transformed, people born again. Movie on the Hill, we've had twice we've done Movie on the Hill and have had 120 people both times. Celebration of Life, over 500 people. The uh, launch of the Hope Center, we're in the process of launching the Dream Center, which is going to be called the Hope Center, and Mandy's helping us launch that. She's in the process of putting together the, the Dream Team, if you will, the leadership team for that. So it's awesome. So great things. All of these things, I believe, and I, and I could go on, there's more. These are just the first fruits of what's to come. We often said when we were in New Orleans, we had Beyond the Grave. Some of you have heard us talk about this. We had Beyond the Grave, and uh, it was a, a theatrical production based on the Columbine school shootings, and it would develop through the years based on the various school shootings and such. And you would go through the day in the life of all these teenagers, and then reality sets in when you see the gunmen come in and begin to shoot them. And uh, they... The, the point of the production was life after the grave, beyond the grave, when you stand before God at the judgment seat. And every production, we would see thousands, literally thousands of people in a, in a year's time come to Christ. We often said that that was the first fruits of the end time harvest. I mean, it, how incredible to see literally four or five hundred in one time, four or five hundred people coming forward, making decisions for Christ in your church. I believe that we are in the, the time frame of the last day, great outpouring. Uh, Tim Inlow, who was with us for the Holy Spirit Conference. If you missed the Holy Spirit Conference, man, we had a phenomenal uh, time, incredible meetings, and we we hosted. I hate to say this, but it's true. Uh, we hosted more people from our community than we hosted from our own church during those meetings. We had more people here from the community than we had from our from our own church in those meetings. Absolutely phenomenal time, and. Um, he, you know, he was in the process of, of praying, closing one night, and he were praying for revival. 
And he stopped as we're praying for revival. And he said, and when he said it, it reverberated in my spirit because it was the same thing basically that we've been saying. He just said it differently. He said, revival's here. Revival, there's a shaking underground. There's a shaking happening right now for revival in this area. If you'll just begin to dig in, you'll receive all that God has for this church. I thought it was awesome. And he turned and he said, he said, I don't usually give prophetic words or words of knowledge in church. But he said, I feel like God's speaking to you, Pastor Zach, for this church. God would say that uh, the greatest harvest of souls this church has ever seen is coming in the near future. That it's not going to be, it's not going to be church transfers. Amen. He said, it's not going to be people changing churches and church transfers. He said, it's going to be fresh fish. It's going to be, it's going to be the new believers coming in and getting born again. I believe that. I believe that. Come, Lord. And then right, right after that, there was, another, there was another pastor that was here in that service. Uh, he is, um, I had never met him, but he's, well, he's a well-known minister. And uh, he travels all over Italy. He's, he, there's a group of churches that he's uh, basically the apostolic covering for, the, for those churches and such. And he, he said, we were, he and I were talking, and we were just having conversation. And I, I felt the Lord say, uh, while we were just having conversation, that he crossed over into a prophetic word for us. And he said, make room for the miracles in your church. He said, make room for salvations, make room for the miracles. He said, there have, there have been seeds sown in this area for many, many years uh, through the ministry of Catherine Kuhlman and many others, and that harvest is yet to be seen. The, the things that they preached and the things that they spoke of have really yet to be seen. He said, you need to make room. He said, you don't have to make a big deal about it. Don't advertise that you're doing it. Just make room for it. And he said, watch what God will do. And I thought, Again, confirmation, same night, back-to-back. Both words were back-to-back. I thought, God, this is the first fruit of what you're doing in our church. And so in Numbers chapter 17, I want to take a look at the power of the first fruits. In Numbers 17, in verse 1, and it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, 12 rods, and write each man's name on his rod. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece for each leader according to the father's houses, 12 rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. So in the tent of meeting or the place where God came. Verse 8, it says, Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. 
<laughs> Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Now, if you flip over with me, uh, we're going to come back to Numbers, but I, I want to read. We find, a, we find a parallel to this uh, in Jeremiah chapter 1. In Jeremiah chapter 1, in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, verse, verse 11 of Jeremiah chapter 1, And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray, God, that you'd give us ears to hear what you're saying. Lord, that we would begin to step in and fulfill all the plans and purposes that you have for us corporately and individually. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Before we begin today, you have to first kind of understand the background of what's happening here with uh, Moses when God spoke to him to say, bring the rods, the almond rods, the branches of the almond rods into the tent of meeting. Basically, what's just happened in Numbers, uh, in, in Numbers 16, in the preceding chapter, Korah, if you remember Korah, Korah was uh, Moses and Aaron's cousin, and uh, he was very wealthy, very influential, and Korah led a rebellion. He felt like he should have more authority. If Aaron had authority, he should have more authority. And not only should he have more authority, he felt like Moses and Aaron were doing it wrong. He felt like there should be a different, there should be a different plan or a different purpose. He felt like uh, there should be a different way to worship. And so he began to stir up the people against Moses and Aaron. And the first thing that, that uh, Korah does is he gets 250 leaders. These are key leaders for Moses and Aaron. He gets them stirred up, riled up, and he, then out of the 250, he gets a whole other group of people riled up, and they go out and they complain against Moses and his ministry and what God's doing through Moses and Aaron. How many of you can say that's not a good thing to touch God's anointed? It's not wise to complain against the Lord's anointed. And so Moses prays before the Lord and says, Mo, uh, says, God, help me, help me with these people. What are we supposed to do? And so Moses goes out to make reconciliation with, with uh, uh, Korah. He corrects him and tries to make reconciliation. And Korah and all of his leaders are rebellious. They're arrogant. They respond in arrogance. And they don't respond humility. They respond in arrogance. And so what happens in that moment, the earth begins to open up and Korah and all of his associates and their families all get swallowed up in the earth and the earth closes. How many of you know that will really help silence complaining in any group of people? <laughs> Doesn't matter whether you're church or not, if the earth opens up and swallows up the complainers, you know that God's, uh, God's with Moses. As if that was not enough. As if that was not enough. Fire comes and consumes all 250 leaders. So Korah and all of his key guys are all now swallowed up in the earth. All 250 uh, leaders that were complaining against Moses are now have all burned uh, instantaneously, you know, fried uh, by fire from heaven. And then, if that wasn't enough, God says, I'm just going to rid them all of complaining. He says, I'm going to send a plague, and the plague devours 14,700 people. 
15,000 people had rose up against Moses. Out of these millions of Jews, you would think Moses might take a step back and say, okay, God, am I really called to do this? I mean, I've got 15,000 people telling me I'm not the one, that, that we're doing it wrong. But no, Moses stood his ground and said, God has called me to lead this people. And God began to reconcile for Moses those who were against him. And the, the Bible says that 14,700 died. So we pick up the story right after this in Numbers 18, where God says to Moses, now I'm going to prove to the people that Aaron is your assistant, that Aaron is the leader. Go take the... Go Go take the almond, the almond branches, put them in the in the presence of the Lord. Go put them in the tabernacle, and the and the uh, the almond branch that buds, that will be the leader. That's the man that I've chosen. And so here's Aaron's, and Aaron's branch comes out, and the and it has fully budded and produced almonds. Now it was a branch; it wasn't connected to a tree. It had been cut off. So obviously, this is a supernatural sign from God about Aaron's calling. Now we see the same parallel in Jeremiah 1 when God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, I see the almond tree. I see the bud, the, the branch of an almond tree. And he says, you've seen correctly, I stand ready to perform my word. In other words, in Jewish history, the, the almond tree in Jewish, uh, Jewish history, one is the first, it's the first tree that produces fruit in spring. And so it was the first fruit, if you will. It was the sign or the first fruits of what was to come. It was the sign to the Jewish people that spring was, was here and the harvest was coming. And so I would say to you today, just like we said earlier, we are seeing the first fruits of the fulfillment of God's purpose in our church. We are seeing, if you will, the almond tree budding in our midst. And I, I want to share with you today how we begin to see the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. The second thing about the almond tree that I should mention is the word almond in Hebrew is the word watch. So when, when God said to Jeremiah, I stand ready and I watch over my word, it was a play on words saying just as the almond is watching over the harvest, even so I am watching over my word to perform what I've said I'll, I would do. And I would say to you today, celebration God is watching over his word, and what he's spoken over this church, he will perform. He will do. He will accomplish. The first thing that we see here, if we take a look in Numbers and Jeremiah, the first thing that we see that we must do in order to see the fulfillment of the plans and the purposes of God in our life is we must hear the word of the Lord. We have to be in a place to hear the word of the Lord. The Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, he had to hear from God. Moses had to be in a place to hear from God. Often, the difficult circumstances that we face, the challenging circumstances of our life are the very things that God uses, uses to push us into his presence to hear from him. Maybe you're facing difficult time. The celebration has been through times of transition and, and we all know the story and the history. Sometimes those are the very circumstances that force us into a place where we have got to get in a place where we hear his voice. We've got to get into his presence to hear his voice. You know, you may be saying, well, I didn't, I didn't sign up for 
all you know, the Pentecost. I didn't sign up for, for all that God's doing in my life. I didn't sign up for the hardship. I, I didn't realize that this was coming. I didn't realize this was what God was talking about. But it's the very thing that you need in your life to drive you into his presence so you can hear his voice. You've got to hear his voice. You've got to hear his word. Moses was faced with 15,000 member rebellion. Jeremiah was in, in bondage. The Jewish people were in exile. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Here's Jeremiah in the place of Babylonian rule, and he has to hear from God for his people. I think about blind Bartimaeus. In the New Testament, blind Bartimaeus is obviously blind, and he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He needed one encounter with the word of God. He needed that one word from God be healed. That one moment, sometimes the very things that we face that are challenging are the things that God uses to drive us into his presence, to hear his voice. The Israelites had been liberated from Egypt. They were out of bondage. They had come to the place uh, to spy out the land. Moses sends out the spies, and all of them come back and say, yep, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to happen. We're not able. And Joshua and Caleb say, we are more than able to take them. God, If God's with us, we are able to conquer and go into the promised land. We need to get into the place where we hear the voice of the Lord, where we're not listening and hearing to the, hearing the voice of the complainers, hearing the voice of, of the Babylonians who are ruling over us or, or, or the circumstance of life. We've got to hear the voice of the Lord clearly for ourselves. There's four types of the word of God that I want to just quickly give you. There's four, four types of words of God. First off, there's the written word or scripture. There's the written word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we know we hear from the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, the rest of these will be fallible to you. And this is what I mean by that, uh, that God's, all these other types of words will always line up with Scripture. If, if it contradicts Scripture, I would question its, ori- or its origin. Is it really from God? What I encourage people to do, and and Heather and I, we were just having a conversation about this this week. If you feel like you have a word from the Lord, does it line up with Scripture? And if it doesn't, put it in the basket, set it aside, and if it comes back around, praise the Lord. And if it doesn't, it wasn't God. God's word never contradicts itself. You can always go to Scripture. So if you're not in Scripture, if you're not digging into the Scripture, how can you know whether or not you're hearing the voice of the Lord? How do you, how do you know what God's directing you? So let me encourage you to have a personal time in the Word of God. Now, you, you may be looking at me and saying, I... I Hear what you're saying, Pastor, but that's it. It just does nothing for me. It's boring. I don't know where to begin. All of these things. I've heard it all before. Let me encourage you start simple. Don't start in Leviticus or Numbers. And everybody that's read Numbers or Leviticus can say amen. I would encourage you start in the book of John or start in Luke. Luke and John start in the start in what we call the synoptic gospels, the the gospels, the four gospels. Start there and begin to devour the word of God for yourself. 
The second type of word is the personified word, what I would call the personified word. Jesus was the word of God made flesh, made manifest. John 1.14 says that in the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the idea, the word of God. He is the idea of God, the written word of God made manifest in a person. If you want to understand the nature and the character of God, and you want to understand uh, in a person what this word is all about, then you need to begin to devour in the gospels who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is a picture of the word of God. Third type of word is the spoken word, when God speaks to us. There's the audible spoken voice of God. I've never heard for myself the audible voice of God. I would think that if I did, that would be pretty cool. And uh, I would love to hear the audible voice of God. I would imagine that it would be pretty terrifying at first. But in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, And behold, a voice out of the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased. God spoke audibly over his Son. So does God still speak audibly? Absolutely. God can do whatever he chooses. But but more times than not, he also speaks to us by, by his Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Romans 8, 16. So the Holy Spirit is speaking in our inner man. He's speaking to our spiritual man. And so you and I can hear the voice of God for ourselves. Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. How do we know his voice? by his written word, by the Holy Spirit. This is why we teach and preach so much on the power of the Spirit-filled life. If you go through life without ever having the, the testimony or the, the word of God spoken to you by the Holy Spirit or the direction of the Holy Spirit in your inner man, man, you're missing out on one of the greatest privileges as a believer that you can live with spiritual power and, and testimony in your inner man about what God's doing in your life. I have to have, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, I have to have the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the, the speaking of the Holy Spirit in my life to begin to know and how to function in life in any of those. If you try to do it on your own, how many of you know that at some point, you're going to miserably fail. You have to have the direction of the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth type of word is revelatory words. These are, this is what 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words. There's revelatory words where God shows you uh, either about your own life or regarding someone else's life, uh, things that aren't otherwise known to the natural man. First uh, Corinthians 14.3 says this, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation or comfort. This is how you know words from God. Is it edifying? Is it encouraging? Is it comforting? Those are the three qualifications. Is it exalting Jesus? Obviously, First John talks about that. How do we know if it's a false spirit? It has to testify to Jesus. And then beyond that, it needs to edify, it needs to encourage, and it needs to comfort. That's how you know it's a word from God. Y'all with me? So those are the four types of the word of God. We've got to hear the word of the Lord. There's power in the word of God. Ezekiel was standing in the valley of dry bones. He was, he, 
that's, that's a difficult situation. God says you're going to raise up a mighty army, and your army is dead. They, they have, you know, no flesh, nothing. They're bones. Okay, God, how are you going to do this? And he says, speak. And, and Ezekiel says, hear the word of the Lord. In John eleven forty three, Lazarus, come forth. The word of the Lord raised Lazarus. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. So faith is, is produced in us, is strengthened in us by hearing the word of God. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke, and the creative word of God is still creating today. When God spoke of your life and said, Bob... You're my son. I call you out of darkness into my marvelous light. When God called you and he called you out of darkness into his marvelous, that word never stops. He never stops calling. It's a perpetual word. You may get goofy and stupid and try to run from his word, but his word is still calling you forth. His word is still calling you out of your grave. 2 Peter 1.21 says, Scripture came not by the will of man, but by holy men of God who spoke as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Word of God has power for our lives. We have got to position ourselves to hear from God if we're going to fulfill the plans and purposes of God for our life. Secondly, we, if we're going to fulfill the purposes of God, the plans of God for our life, we have to see God's vision. God said to Jeremiah, what do you see? Prophets in the Old Testament were seers. They had to see what God was saying and what he was speaking, and they would begin to declare it over the nation. If you're going to begin to walk in the purposes and plans of God for your life, you need to, like Jeremiah, see what God is saying over your life. The Bible says in Acts that you will receive power and be you shall receive power and you shall be my, there we go, I'll, I'll help you out. You shall be my witnesses. What is a witness? Witness is a testimony of something they've seen. They're giving testimony of something they've experienced. So you and I have to begin to see and experience for ourselves what God is saying in his direction. We've got to begin to have, uh, to see God's vision, we've got to begin to have an eternal perspective. We can't look at the things in the natural. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look at the things that are not seen, but the things which are... We don't look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. We have to begin to focus our eyes on the eternity, the eternal perspective around us. We have to fix our eyes on Christ. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fixing. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's plenty of things in this race with Christ, there's plenty of things in this life with God that will distract you from your purpose. There's plenty of people that will tear you down and tell you how you're a failure. There's plenty of, uh, of circumstances in life that will tear you down and discourage you. And so you have to fix you have to position your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the what? He's the perfecter of our faith. When you begin to set your eyes on Jesus, you're no longer looking at circumstance. You're allowing Christ to perfect faith in you. Who for the joy set before him? 
What joy is there in going to the cross? Jesus was not looking at his temporary circumstance. He was looking at the souls in eternity that the promise of the Father was to come. That was the joy that was set before him. That was the joy that he had. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we've got to fix our eyes, intentionally set our eyes on Christ. And then thirdly, we have to live Today, what we see by faith, when we begin to look and see through the eyes of faith and we begin to see what God sees and we begin to have his vision for our lives, we have to begin to live out today what he set before us. In Hebrews 11, verse 13, it said, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They had seen them. If you, if you read Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, it tells all of the, the legacies and the stories of the men and the women of faith. They had seen the promises of God, but didn't ever obtain them in this life. But they began to live today when God said to Abram, guess what? You're moving, you're going out, and, and your seed will bless the whole earth. Abraham had to, leave, uh, he had to leave his home, and he had to go out and follow the plans of God. When God said to Sarah, Sarah, you're going to have a baby in old age. She had to begin to make provision in her life to have a baby. She couldn't have just sat there and said, okay, this is going to be a supernatural conception. No, no, no. She had to begin, even when, even when she thought, Abraham, you're pretty old, buddy. I don't know how this is going to work. But God said, we're going to have a baby, so let's go in the other room and have a baby. You know, so she, she, had, to begin to, she had to begin to put, some of you all needed to laugh this morning. I had to throw that out there. So they had to begin to make provision for the purpose of God for their life. You, if God speaks to you and says, hey, guess what? The, the storm's coming, Noah. The, the flood's coming, and this, people need to be saved. Noah couldn't, couldn't just sit there on the sideline. I mean, he could, and, and they would all have been destroyed. But for 120 years, he went to work on an ark that saved his people. What about you? What about you, my friend? Are you willing to step out? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. In other words, he said, I realize that the purpose and the plans of God is not going to be something that is easily obtained. I'm going to have to die to my flesh. I'm going to have to lay aside what I want, my own desires, and I'm going to have to begin to live out what God has called me to do. Sometimes we, we want to stay in the confines of our comfort. We want to stay in the confines of our, of our security and our safety. When God's calling us out of the boat to begin to walk on the water, death always makes visible where your treasure is. When you begin to die to yourself, and I'm not necessarily talking about the, the physical death, although at times of physical death we realize our, you know, it's one time for many people where they actually take a look at eternity. But our, our spiritual death, when we begin to die spiritually to ourselves, we begin to realize where our treasure is. If we learn to die in this way, we'll learn to live in this way. If we learn to die to ourselves, if we learn to position ourselves in a place to hear from God and we position ourselves in a place to see what he sees and his vision and we begin to live that out, then we're willing at all costs to live for the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards obviously didn't waste his life. I love Jonathan Edwards. Didn't, he didn't waste his life. 
His life ended when he was 54. He died of a, a failed smallpox vaccination. But in his short life, he wrote thousands of sermons. He led the Great Awakening, the first and second Great Awakening. He, he was a man that influenced the history. You know, it's funny how much history uh, gets rewrote through the years. If you, really, if you really take a look at the origins of our country... The, the two influential men were not our president and not our political leaders. The most influential men at the start of our country were two preachers by the name of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. And we have, we have forgotten that fact. Those, the, the preachers were more influential in that day than the, than the leadership of our country. God, we need to get back to the place, not for political authority. Listen, I'm not about, I don't, I don't need a political power. I don't want political power. Jesus was not here for political authority, but he came to establish a kingdom, and that kingdom was more real and more visible than the democracy that we're under today. Jonathan Edwards wrote several revolutions. Some of those I'll share with you. Number five, he says, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolve, number six, resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Number 17, he says, resolve that I will live so as I wish I had done when I come to die. Yeah. Have, you, have you settled that? I mean, can you ask yourself that question? Have you settled that within your own spirit, that I want to live in such a way that when I come time to die, that's all I have to do? That I've lived in such a way that my life will be fulfilled. I fulfilled my purposes. I have no regrets. Number 22, resolve to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world, not this world, in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Jonathan Edwards lived his life in a way that said, my eternal, uh, my eternal home is more important to me. The living and fulfilling my life for eternity is more important to me than the, the things of this natural life. Is it risky? Oh, it's absolutely risky. Uh, you know, the word witness in Acts 1.8, the word witness is martyr. It's absolutely risky. John the Baptist called King Herod an adulterer. And what happened to him? He got his head chopped off. Paul risked everything. He went back to Jerusalem to finish out his ministry. And what happened? He got arrested and he was beaten and, jail and, and jailed for two years then shipped off to Rome and then killed and he writes to Timothy and says, I've, I've, I've fought the fight. I've run the race. My life is being poured out as a drink offering. He had given everything for the fulfillment of the purpose of God in his life. Are you paralyzed by the enamor of safety and security? Does your own personal comfort mean more to you than fulfilling God's purpose for your life. If your own comfort and your own security is more important to you than fulfilling the purpose of God, then my friend, you will sit on the church pew and you'll be comfortable, but that's all you'll ever live. You'll never see the fulfillment of the great things that God has for you in your life. You can sit and never mark history, never change uh, and see anyone change in your life. Or you can launch out into the deep and see God do great things in and through your life. I started thinking 
today, as I was preparing for service, I started thinking about ISIS. You know, we've our world, our news and media and everything's in turmoil with ISIS and, and the Islamic State stuff. And I began to think about this this morning. Here's, here's an organization or, a, or a, a movement or a terrorist or whatever you want to call it. And their stated purpose, their stated purpose is to bring about the apocalypse. That is, their, that is their underlying stated purpose, that they're to bring about their version of the apocalypse, to establish an Islamic state and bring about the apocalypse, to see their, their Messiah come to rule and reign. And in doing this, they recruit, by, by the, the statistics that we know, they are recruiting 20 new leaders a day. A day, 20 new people are joining the ranks of ISIS. But in the middle of this, what's so uh, confounding to me is this, that of those 20, the, the age range that they're recruiting is between the age of 15 and 20. And they're doing it, they're doing it through increased social media awareness and through videos, uh, online, online media and so forth. They're, they're attracting a younger generation. And in the middle of this, what's so perplexing about it is they just, at the, at the end of last year, in, in December, it came out that they had killed 200 of their own people. Because they were rebelling against and not doing jihad how they thought they should do jihad. They weren't doing, how, doing it their way, so they killed 200 of their own people. Now tell me, I just want to pause for a moment and reflect on this reality. What in the world are we doing as a church when we sit by in our pews and in our comfort and, and allow allow the world that we're in to die and go to hell and we're more comfortable sitting back in the church pew. We want our, we want our ease, we want our comfort, we want our security overseeing the gospel advanced. Are you all with me this morning? I, I realize I might be stepping on some toes this morning. I, I, and Just stick them out and you can put them back under after I'm done. But, but I want to tell you that there is a world around us that's going to hell. And God has commissioned each one of us to live a life that fulfills his purpose and impacts the world around us. I, it is unnerving to me as a believer when I hear things like that about ISIS, it is unnerving to me as a pastor, as a believer, to know that God help us, we can't even get 20 new members in a month. And they're doing it in a day. Well, if you, if you did this and if you did that, listen, it's about us engaging and fulfilling the purposes of God in our life. It's about each of us fulfilling the plans and the purposes of God. Thirdly, well, actually, I want to read this quote. I, I ran across this quote. I want to share this with you. The Roman Emperor Julian, he was trying to establish his uh, Roman religion again. He was trying to build the Roman religion again in his time frame. And this is what he said. I find this very interesting. God help us that we would do likewise. He says, the Christian faith has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal. There is not a single Jew who is a beggar. He's talking about because of the Christians, there's not even one of them, not even one Jew who's sitting and begging because of this loving Christian service of the, of the Christian faith. 
and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but they care for ours as well, while those who belong to us look at us in vain for help that we should be rendering to them. That ought to be said of, of the enemies of the Christian faith that we, are, that we are so in love with Jesus, that we are so fulfilling our purpose to such a level that we have no needy among us. And not only do we have no needy among us, we're reaching out to the enemy's needy as well. That's the, that is Christianity. That is the life that we are called to live. It's not the government's job to take care of the needy. It's not the government's job to take care of the, the, the poor and the destitute. That's what, the, actually, that's what Jesus uh, called the church to do, shocking. But in the New Testament, we actually see that's what the leaders of the church were called to do. That they were to take care of the widows and the poor. And the first fight, it's so funny, the first fight in church. The first, here they are in, in full-blown revival. Thousands, literally thousands of people are being born again. People are being healed. And the fight in church, well, I didn't get food in the food line today. I didn't like that food today. It was over the feeding of the multitudes. It's amazing how we get caught up in the the menial issues of life. God, help us that we advance to fulfill the purpose of God. Thirdly, fulfillment of God's purpose requires us to stay in the presence of the Lord. Fruitfulness or fulfillment of God's purpose in your life is absolutely dependent on you living in his presence. John chapter 15 talks about abiding in his presence. I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to stay in the presence of God. This isn't just coming to church on Sunday and, and, and getting a little touch at the altar, or having a good experience in church and going home and living like the devil. No, it means that every day of your life, you're in the presence of the Lord. You wake up thinking about God. You go to bed thinking about his presence and loving on him. You're, you're constantly, I, I go throughout the day, I'm constantly, there's a song in my spirit. I, I can't go without having a song in my spirit. There's always a melody in my heart that I'm singing either between me and God or, or out loud. I always am singing in the presence. I've got to live. That is praying continually, constantly living in his presence. Heather is always praying in tongues. You always know where Heather is around the church because you can hear her praying in the spirit somewhere. That's, that's how we live. We live in the presence of the Lord. We have to live our lives abiding in Christ. David said, how lovely is your tabernacle? Now, this is a funny statement. David's talking about a, a rattered, tattered tabernacle that's been beat up. Torn. He's not talking about some uh, the Solomon's temple. He's talking about a beat up tabernacle. How lovely, God, is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, even faints, for the courts of my Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. For a day in your courts, not about the building. It's not about the outward trappings or the religious things that are going on and the tabernacle. It's about your presence, Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Abiding in his presence. Attempting to live outside the presence of God results in regret, defeat, discouragement. Only in his presence can you realize your full potential. Only in his presence can you realize the purposes and the plans of God for your life. I love the, uh, you know, John 
the revelator, he's been boiled in oil. I mean, he's, they've tried to kill this guy, and they can't kill him. Why? His purpose hadn't been fulfilled. He's on the Isle of Patmos in exile. And what does the Bible say? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I've got news for you. If I had just been boiled alive, I, it might be really hard for me to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I would try probably everything else to not be. I'd be complaining. I'd be angry or bitter at God. Maybe I'm just talking about me and you never experienced that. But here's John the Revelator. I was in the Spirit. I was in the presence of God. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I turned to see the voice. Now, you don't normally turn to see a voice. Normally, you turn to hear a voice. But there was something tangible about this voice. It was the voice of God. He turned to see the voice of the Lord, and he began to write what he saw. He began to write the revelation that he saw, and it's changing the world. It's the, it's the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation, the greatest revelation of Jesus and it is impacting and changing, obviously, the world. It's in the Bible. But the reality is, is he fulfilled the purpose God had called him to. I want to close with this thought. I've been doing some research on this area as far as revivals in the past and, and Pentecost and the influence here in the area. And uh, I, I, love, I love studying revivals. I love studying the, the move of God, the outpouring of God in areas. And obviously, we know that this area was greatly affected by Catherine Kuhlman's ministry. If you don't know who Catherine Kuhlman is, I would encourage you to get the book, Daughter of Destiny. I think that's the name of the book, Daughter of Destiny, that explains who Catherine Kuhlman is and her ministry. It's absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I did some research, and this is what I found. I want to read this to you because uh, there's a lot more, but this specifically applies to Akron. I'd like for you to hear uh, hear this. Some of you may have been around for this. I'm not sure. Um, some of you may remember this. But in August 1952, Catherine preached over 15,000 under Rex Humbard's tent in Akron, Ohio, on Triplet Boulevard next to the Akron Airport. On the pre-dawn hours before Catherine's first Sunday service, the Humbards were awakened by a loud knock on the door of their mobile home. It was a policeman who said, Reverend Humbard, you're going to have to do something. There's nearly 18,000 people in that tent out there. And it was 4 in the morning, and the service was not scheduled to start until 11 a.m. Catherine, being accustomed to the crowds of people who couldn't all fit under one roof or in one tent, told Humbard there was only one thing to do that they would have to start the service at 8 a.m. And that's what they did. Maud Amy, Rex's wife, remembered that Catherine ministered that day until 2.30 in the afternoon. Started at 8 a.m. and went till 2.30. And we complained for an hour and a half. <laughs> After these meetings, the Humbards parked their mobile home in Akron and subsequently built one of the largest churches, television ministries in that area of the 60s and 70s. Catherine and the Humbards also built a lifelong friendship as a result of their Akron experience. Now, this is interesting. Dallas Billington, Akron Baptist Temple, attacked Catherine. From, he was from that church. He was a Southern Baptist guy and was attacking Catherine's meetings and offered $5,000 to anyone that could prove her false. <laughs> Actually, the Akron Beacon Journal ran the ran an article from him attacking her and attacking her ministry, and he even felt that it was his, his privilege to announce that she was a divorcee and her ministry was not valid because she had been divorced. 
And, uh, and he was trying to blast her and said, if you can prove her false or if anyone else, and for that matter, can come and heal the sick like she does, I'll pay you $5,000. <laughs> so, see, it, it, it's, it's happened through all the ages. It's the, the, the attacks and the criticisms. It's happened since Moses and the Israelites. It's always going to happen. And Catherine responded. She said, I've been in this vicinity for seven years, and I feel that my life and ministry speak for themselves. She told the newspaper, I have never at any time or place made a statement that I have ever healed anyone. It is the power of God. So go right ahead and publish anything Dr. Billington says. He's going to split his church wide, wide open. The response was instantaneous. The newspaper circulation department reported that the demand for extra papers was second only to the annual request which poured in from all over the country at the Soapbox Derby time. Which you all know the Soapbox Derby is well known here. We, that was one of the first things we learned about the area. It was about the Soapbox Derby. So they said that it, was, it even outdid the Soapbox Derby. The next Sunday, 20,000 others showed up to the meetings. <laughs> There is, there is a history in this area for revival, for the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit. Catherine Kuhlman's message, I, I have never saw her in person, but seeing the videos, you know, this long flowing white dress, you know, y'all know what I'm talking The Holy Spirit. What a ministry. That was her ministry, the precious Precious Holy Spirit, I'm going to say something as your pastor and, and what God has called us here to do, and I, and I believe that you can also apply what we've taught today into your personal life and fulfilling God's plan and purpose for you personally, but I want to speak to the fact of us as a congregation fulfilling the purposes of God. You know, when we, when we were called to New Orleans, or called from New Orleans to Akron, when God spoke to us, it was, it was immediate that we knew that we were coming. This, and, this, this was, and, and this is all honestly, we said from point go with the board. I'm looking at Jim, but uh, you know, the, the selection committee in that time, from point go, we said we've heard from God that we're coming. Now, they, there was a long process to, to figuring that out, and that's, it's needed. Thoroughness is needed, and all of those things are absolutely important. But we knew from the very beginning God had called us here. We didn't know what this, we didn't, at that point, we didn't even know anything about the church other than Doc Dobbins. We didn't know anything other than that name. And so we didn't know what God was doing. We didn't know the history of the church. We just knew that God said, you're coming. And so and that's what we did. We came, God worked out the details. We're here and it's so awesome. It is so awesome to see all that God's doing. But let me say this, our purpose in being here is to see the plans and the purposes of God for this church, why this church was established. We can predate even probably Dobbins. We can go back to the to this church on South or whatever it was way back. Uh, uh, Jewel Dean can probably give you the history. She's the history major. <laughs> but, but we can go back to the very beginnings of these churches and understand and recognize that this, these churches, this church is here today not to be a social club, not to be a pat me on the back club and say, oh, you're, you're, look at you, you're so good, you're so awesome, you're so wonderful. This, this church is here today to spread the message of the gospel, to see revival affect this region. That's why we're here. That's why this church is here. 
And so I just want to, I want to, as your pastor, say thank you for standing with us in that. I realize that it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I realize revival, listen, the, if it's uncomfortable for you, if revival's uncomfortable for you, you can absolutely 100% take it to the bank. It's uncomfortable for me. <laughs> if you feel uncomfortable, then you better believe I feel uncomfortable because it, it's happening to me as well. It's a life all of us have to live. It's a life all of us have to live. We have to live in, in revival individually, corporately. John Kilpatrick, I'll close with this thought. Sorry, I'm a little over. Y'all hopefully can forgive me. The band can come up. John Kilpatrick shared this thought, and I thought I'd share it with y'all. It was uh, powerful this week. We had a great, it was probably the best pastor's conference I've ever been to. Um, we had deaf ears open. I mean, we're at a pastor's conference. Deaf ears open, backs healed, slip disc healed, all sorts of, it was awesome. It was a great time. People baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was phenomenal uh, at a pastor's conference, no less. And um, he, he made this comment. He said, when revival came, he said, we had been praying. We had been praying in our church for two years straight for revival. Mike reminded me of this this morning, and so I thought I'd share it. He said, we, John Kilpatrick said, we had been praying for two years straight for revival. They had been Sunday night. They had devoted Sunday nights to prayer and communion, praying for revival, taking communion together. And um, he said, when, he said when, it, when revival came, he said, we weren't expecting it to come the way that it came. He said, we weren't prepared for what happened in our church. We weren't prepared for the millions of people that were going to come through our doors over the next few years. He said, it, it took us time to, to prepare and get ready and, and to, to adjust how we did things to accommodate. I mean, can you imagine thousands of people lining up outside the doors mm. at 7 a.m. to get in for church. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It starts at 7 p.m. It's awesome. And so there, there, is, there is a mandate of God on our church to carry revival to our, to our city. Uh, there's a mandate on our lives, Heather and I, specifically for revival. And there's a mandate on this church for revival. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. You know, it's, it's really not easy when you see people that you love come and go, people that you respect come and go. It's not easy when you have new folks come in and they're messy, they're new, they're fresh fish, they've never been discipled. It's, it's, not, it's not fun sometimes dealing with those things. It's not, it's not clean and neat when you have the demons walking in down the middle of the aisle and, and getting delivered, people getting delivered. It's not, it's not neat when you see the, the, the prostitutes and the smelly and the drunk and the this and the that all come and flow. That's not, it's not easy. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. That's, that is the mantle of this church. And our job is to help see that realized in this day. And that's what we're doing. We're seeing the first fruits. We're seeing the first fruits of it. We're seeing the beginnings. We're seeing the beginnings of it. And I wanna encourage you, get in, get in. You may not fully understand it, that's okay, get in. Don't miss out. You, you may question things, I question things. <laughs> there, are, there are days after services that we've gotta go back in our pastoral meetings and we sit in our pastoral staff meetings and we say, we sit around, you can ask any of our pastors that are in that meeting, and we have to talk out some of the things that we've seen happen. Okay, well, how do we handle this? What do we do? What does the scripture say about? 
What does the Bible say about that? And we sit around and we pray about it. We talk about what the Bible says. That's what pastors are to do, right? That's, that is, that is our mantle. And we're seeing, we're beginning to see the first fruits. Get in, get in. There's more to come. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your presence in this church. God, we realize that this is a journey, that we're fulfilling our purpose and the plans that you've laid before us. Lord, we ask, as you said to Jeremiah, that you're watching over your word to perform it. Lord, we ask that you would perform your word in our church. Lord, I believe this is the day and this is the hour of the fulfillment of things that have been promised. Lord, we just receive. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, each individually to receive and to fulfill our purpose in all that you do. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.